0: You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Are you ready to change your life in the next 30 minutes? It's time for Power and a Half Hour with Coach Mark. Get your notebooks ready. He's about to go in. Five, four, three, two, one. Coach Mark, let's go. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power and a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're gonna learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super. Duper Successful. So the quote that we're going to start today's show with is, the higher your energy level, the more efficient your body. The more efficient your body, the better you feel, and the more you will use your talent to produce outstanding results. And that's from the great Tony Robbins. The title of today's show is, Time to Reenergize." If you're feeling like you don't have enough energy to make it throughout the day, trust me, this show is going to help you. Make sure you listen to the end to find out all the tips and strategies and techniques that we come up with, all right? want to remind you, if you ever want to go back and re-listen to not only this show, but any of the previous shows, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com. Or if you have iTunes, just search for me in the podcast section. Just do a search for Coach Mark or Power in a Half Hour. And if you listen to it on iTunes, Please, I'm asking you to leave a rating and a comment for me. All right. I would greatly appreciate that. If we're not friends on Facebook, my name on Facebook is Mark Starr. That's M A R K S T A R R. Just do a search for Facebook.com slash the real Mark Starr. On Instagram, it's at Coach Mark Speaks. For all of my listeners in the United States, I have a daily message service that sends out a motivational or inspirational message every single morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. To get those messages for free, all you have to do is text the letters BBD to four one one two four seven. 247 And if you have not downloaded my book, you can download it for free. That's right, I said free at www.repeataftermebook.com. All right, we have a great show today, so let's not waste any more time and get started right away. Profile number one, Nick Swinburne. Now, Nick was born in England, and he moved to the United States when he was seven. His father was an engineer, and his mother was a teacher. Although they weren't entrepreneurs, they encouraged him to do entrepreneurial things. Nick majored in film studies at University of California, Santa Barbara, and graduated in 1995, but he had no idea of what he wanted to do. He ended up taking a job with a minor league baseball team for $12,000 a year working in ticket sales. Soon after, he got promoted and he started working with the San Diego Padres. After a year, he decided that there was nowhere for him to advance to, so he moved back to the Bay Area. Now, while back in the Bay Area, Nick tried to start a recreational sports league, but that didn't work. He then answered an ad for AutoWeb, which was a car buying service online where the founder and CEO was only a year older than him. It was 1997, and everyone was excited about the Internet. Nick volunteered to help with all the stuff people didn't want to do with the goals of learning how to start something himself. Now, it didn't say that Nick went and got jobs at all these different places. He went and volunteered. That's how he learned. See, he wasn't afraid to give up a little bit of his time, so he could learn. And trust me, it paid off for him big time. After 11 months, he left and started ForStudents.com, which was a student portal where you could email other students and get deals on shopping. StudentAdvantage.com wanted to hire him and rebrand the site under theirs, but he decided the student thing wasn't for him, so he just shut his site down. One day, Nick was at the mall, and he couldn't find a pair of Airwalk desert boots that he wanted. Then the idea popped in his head. Why not do an online shoe store? He went to Footwear, Etc. in Sunnyvale, California, and he told them, I'll take some pictures, put your shoes online, and if people buy them, I will buy them from you at full price. This guy essentially started his business with no money. He went to a shoe store and told them, look, all I want to do is just take some pictures of your shoes that you have in stock. I'll put them online. I'll pay for the website. And if people buy them, I'm not even going to ask you for a discount. I will pay you full price for them. Now, the store said okay, and he got a few orders. Then he went to a shoe show and thought to himself that he needed to put this giant collection online. Now, Nick took a job as a contractor for Silicon Graphics to make money to live on and started raising funds for the company, which at the time he called Shoesite.com. He got money from friends, coworkers, even his chiropractor. When he raised $150,000, he quit his job and hired a couple of his buddies to help him. It was 1999 and they had the same business model of going into stores, taking pictures, and selling the shoes online. Now, during the fall of 1999, some competitors started to pop up, and Nick and his team thought that Shoesite.com wasn't a distinctive enough name, so they decided to change the name to Zappos. They wanted to create something that would be fun and different, and Zappos was close to Zapatos, which meant shoes in Spanish. Nick met with 10 venture capital firms, but they all turned him down. Every one of them said that no one would buy shoes online without trying them on first. Shows how much they knew. They also told him that he would need someone with experience in the shoe business who could persuade different brands to work with them. He met with a men's shoe buyer for Nordstrom's. He felt that Nick had a good idea but wouldn't commit until he raised some more money. Nick continued to get no's from everyone until his attorney connected him with some investors that were investing in almost any company that they could find. He ended up meeting Tony Heisch who had just sold his previous company to Microsoft for $295 million in 1998. Tony was real enthusiastic about the idea. Now at the time the U.S. footwear market was a $40 billion a year business and only five percent of all shoes were sold through mail order before the internet. Tony and his partner Alfred agreed to give Zappos Now, in the beginning, Nick was making all the decisions, but when Tony came aboard, he started to help with a lot of the tech things. In 2001, Tony and Nick became co-CEOs. Tony brought in some of his staff from the company that he already had, and he also invested $15 million of his own money into Zappos. At the time, he owned 11 apartments in San Francisco, and he kept selling them to keep Zappos open. Now, although the business was growing, they didn't have enough money to keep up with the inventory, so Tony had to continue to sell his apartments. In 2003, they were close to breaking even with sales of $70 million. In 2004, sales increased to $184 million, and it doubled again in 2005 as sales grew to $370 million. Now, although they were growing, they still had to borrow money to buy inventory. In 2006, sales grew to $597 million, but they were still struggling to keep up. Now, I want you guys to keep in mind, this is the business that this guy started with no money. All he was doing was initially was going around to other shoe places, taking pictures of their shoes, and putting them online. And now they got sales of $597 million a year. Now, in 2006... Nick decided to leave the company so he could work on building another company, although he kept all of his stock and still retained ownership in the company. In 2009, Amazon acquired Zappos for $1.2 billion. Since then, Nick has started a few different companies. Some of them failed and some of them are still growing. Nick has come to the realization that some ideas will work and some may not, but he understands that he cannot be afraid to fail. Now, this is the business that this guy started with nothing. He initially started the business with nothing. All he did was come up with the great idea and said, you know what? Why don't I sell shoes online? Because nobody was really doing it at the time. He went around, took some pictures of some shoes, and put it online. Less than 10 years later, he was able to sell the business to Amazon for $1.2 billion. Now, let's now take a look at some of Nick's advice. Number one, respond to the customer's needs. If a customer called and wanted to buy a certain shoe and they didn't have it, they would search the web and send the customer a link to where they could find it. They also created free shipping as an incentive, both outbound and return. It responds to the question, what if it doesn't fit? Number two, Don't let other people put a ceiling on what you do. Nick says that when he worked for the San Bernardino Stampedes, they told him that it would take years to work his way up through the minor leagues before getting hired for the majors. He ignored them, applied anyway, and immediately got hired with the San Diego Padres. Do not let other people limit you because what will happen is that they will put their own limits, the limits that they put on themselves, on you, and you can't allow that. You can't allow that. They don't know what your potential is. They don't know what you can do, so why allow them to limit you? And number three, don't have a big ego. At Zappos, everyone saw themselves as equal, all working for the same goals. Profile number two, Richard Dennis. Now, Richard grew up in Chicago during the 1950s as a street kid from the South Side. He did not grow up with a privileged childhood or with a silver spoon. As a teenager, Richard was introverted and wore thick glasses and polyester pants. When Richard was 17, he got a summer job as a runner making $1.60 an hour at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Richard desired to be more than just a runner. He wanted to be a trader, but in order to trade in the pit, you had to be 21 years old. Now, he found a way over that hurdle by talking his father into trading for him. His father was a blue-collar worker for Chicago's city government. Richard became his own runner as he had his father trade for him. Now, despite having some success trading in his teens, Richard headed off to college at DePaul University where he pursued a degree in philosophy. Now, after graduating from DePaul University, he received a scholarship to Tulane University Graduate School. Soon after receiving his scholarship, he dropped out of school and returned to Chicago to pursue his passion for trading full-time. Now, Richard borrowed $1,600 from his family. That's it, $1,600. He used $1,200 to buy a seat at the Mid-America Commodity Exchange. Richard was left with $400 to trade with after purchasing the seat for access to trade. In 1970, Richard increased the initial $400 that he had to $3,000. He continued trading and by 1973, he had increased his capital to $100,000. Now remember now, he started with only $400. $400. And 3 years later he had $100,000. In 1974, Richard made a profit of $500,000 trading soybeans. And by the end of that year, he was a millionaire at the age of 25. Within four years, this guy started off with $400. And within four years, by the age of 25, he was already a millionaire. Not only did Richard make tons of money for himself, he shared his trading strategies with other upcoming traders. He would teach upcoming traders in his or his buddy's apartment. Now, at times, there would be as many as 50 or 60 guys in a one-bedroom apartment learning as much as they could from Richard. Richard believed that successful trading could be taught to anyone. Now, his friend William didn't believe it was possible. William believed that Richard had a special gift that allowed him to profit from trading. Now, to settle that argument, Richard recruited and trained 21 men and two women in two different groups. The first group was recruited in 1983 and the second group in 1984. He called this group the Turtles. Richard took two weeks to train his trading recruits and gave each of them a live trading account to trade. Now, when the Turtle experiment ended five years later, Richard's Turtles were reported to have made Richard a prophet of, get this, 175 not thousand but million dollars a number of richard's trainees have gone on to become successful commodity trading managers using techniques similar to these to those that they learned from richard now there's a lot that we can learn from richard even if we don't trade commodities or stocks remember this guy went from starting with 400 dollars $400 $400 to over $200 million. From 400, he took $400. That's it. He would gotten a loan from his family for $1,600. He had to use $1,200 of it to buy the seat at the commodity exchange. And all he had left was $400. And he turned that $400 into over $200 million. So let's now take a look at some of Richard's rules of success. Now, these apply to his trading, but we can use these. These are just general rules that we can use all the way around. Number one, Richard says, I always say that you can publish rules in a newspaper and no one would follow them. The key is consistency and discipline. And that is so true. That is so true. There are so many books that have the keys to success. The only thing that we have to do is read it and follow it. But no, most people... A, they're not going to read it, and even if they do read it, they're not going to follow it. They're going to want to change up the recipe. I did a video on this a few weeks ago. You can't get the recipe for chocolate cake or for apple pie and want to switch it up. you got to follow the recipe, and you got to consistently follow the recipe day in, day out, day in, day out, and that's how you become successful become successful it's not really that hard the rules are there but you got to follow them and most people will not follow them it's funny because a few weeks ago I was looking on a cooking website and a lady posted a recipe for I don't even remember what it it was a steaks marinade or something like that and I was just reading the comments I just wanted to see what other people had said about the recipe And this one lady, everybody else gave the recipe about four or five stars. And this one lady gave it like one or two stars and said, man, I tried your recipe, but it came out horrible. (laughs) And then she goes on to say, well, I changed this, I changed that, and I changed this. She She changed at least three aspects of the recipe. And I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly why it came out horrible. You changed up the whole recipe. So she had the nerve to change the recipe and then get mad at the lady that posted the original recipe. Now Usually I don't comment, but I had to go in and comment and said, you know what, lady? The reason why your recipe came out messed up is because you changed the recipe up. If you would have followed the recipe, you would have had the same success that everybody else that gave this recipe five stars. And that goes exactly along with what this thing is saying. You got to follow the rules and stay consistent. Number two. Trading has taught me not to take conventional wisdom for granted. What money I made in trading is a testimony to the fact that the majority is wrong a lot of the time. This is so true. The vast majority is wrong even more of the time. I've learned that markets, which are often just mad crowds, are often irrational. When emotionally overwrought, they're almost always wrong. A lot of times, if you don't know what to do, just do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. Because the majority of the time, everybody else is wrong. Number three, when things aren't going right, don't push, don't press. And number four, when you have a position, you put it on for a reason. And you've got to keep it until the reason no longer exists. If you're doing something And in the middle of it, you're doing it. You're saying to yourself, why am I doing this? And you want to quit? No, just go back and remember that there's a reason why you started doing whatever it was that you're doing. Now, until that reason changes, continue doing what you were doing. Now, many of us feel constantly exhausted and complain about chronic tiredness. It's easy to blame this on the lack of sleep. But researchers are discovering that sleep isn't the only culprit. Now, this exhaustion is transforming our bodies, and many of us are unaware of the true causes and the effects that it is having on us. Now, the World Health Organization and leading doctors worldwide are now warning that we've entered a new age, the age of total exhaustion. What researchers worry about most is that the cause is not simply a lack of sleep, as most people think. The real cause is the battle for our attention. Now, every waking moment, our brains are relentlessly bombarded by external stimuli, and it's too much for us to handle. The brain essentially collapses from exhaustion. This exhaustion radically transforms not only our brain and thus our behavior, but also our entire body. Now, in the United States alone, 60% of all workers complain of being tired. More than half of the people admit that they do not feel rested upon getting up in the morning. Now, around 25% of the population in the Western industrialized countries perceive themselves to have symptoms of exhaustion, yet we aren't sleeping less than we did 20 years ago. Now, Maria Chait, a cognitive neuroscientist at University College London, discovered that increasingly levels of stimulation in our daily lives drastically alter our perception. This flood of information causes our brains to suspend a portion of their functionality. Essentially, our brains get overwhelmed by the flood of stimuli that causes some areas of the brains to get switched off. Now, Daniel Levitin, a cognitive psychologist, says that the reason why we are so distracted is that every new stimulus causes a release of the feel-good chemical dopamine. We talked about dopamine last week, right? We want to experience this good feeling again, and so we become dependent upon the distraction. This is why we get so addicted So addicted to Facebook, to Instagram, to all those alerts that we get on our phones. Now, if the distraction becomes chronic, we end up feeling chronically worn out. Now, this causes our memory and our ability to think to both become reduced. Researchers are convinced that constant external distraction is a decisive factor of exhaustion and significantly contributes to the overtiredness pandemic. Today, our brains are bombarded by constant stimuli that continue to get stronger. Filtering ads on subway monitors or electronic billboards, the steady stream of instructions from navigation system of our cars are constantly vibrating cell phones and the nonstop alerts from our text message and emails. Also, when we stroll down on our timelines, that's constant stimulation, constant stimulation. Right, And that's why they set it up like that. That's why Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these uh, online platforms set it up like that because they know that that is constant stimulation and that's going to uh, light off our reward system, that dopamine, and that's going to keep us addicted and keep us steady scrolling down the screen, scrolling down the stream. And Before you know it, it's 20 minutes and you're all the way down looking at some guy in India or Africa or wherever that you have no idea looking at his family pictures. Right? Now, in almost all areas of our lives, there's a ceaseless competition for our attention. All of this is affecting more than just our ability to concentrate. Doctors are now able to prove that the human brain actually gets restructured when this struggle for our attention stretches over months and years as our brains jump back and forth between two or more stimuli. Now, this causes our neural networks to undergo massive restructuring. The overstimulation results in a state of mental fog. Our capabilities are greatly reduced and our capacity for thought and power of recall memory are substantially decreased. These are all the effects of overstimulation. Now, in a long term study, Daniel Levitin discovered that this restructuring of our brains can lead to anxiety and depression, as well as increased levels of adrenaline and dopamine, which in turn leads to more aggression and frustration. Not only does this overstimulation cause our brains to restructure, it can also cause regions of the brain that are involved in the processing of emotions to shrink, reducing the brain's overall volume. You seen the effects that overstimulation has on us? Not only does it make us tired, it can make us depressed, it can make us anxious, it can even reduce the size of the brain. Now, as dismal as this may sound, there may be a solution to this issue. Sleep is the body's main regeneration strategy. It's only during this phase that the symptoms of exhaustion can be relieved. The problem is that these days, millions of people have their mobile phones at their bedside, and that tugs on our attention even when the devices are not being used. Now, Dr. Neil Stanley, a sleep expert, says that in order to get a good night's sleep, we must feel safe and not be worried about anything. To sleep deeply, we shouldn't be distracted. Having a phone close at hand at night makes the brain aware of it, and our sleep is more susceptible to disturbances. One study found that the mere presence of a phone in the bedroom shortens sleep time by 20 minutes a night. Let me repeat that. One study found that the mere presence of a phone in the bedroom shortens sleep time by 20 minutes a night. So not only are we getting less sleep time, when we're actually asleep, we are experiencing less restorative sleep. We're getting ripped from the restorative sleep phase without any warning more and more often. Our increasing involvement in the digital realm has resulted in a state in which we are never without input. No longer are there any pauses in receiving incoming information. Now, news flashes jolt us awake, messages from our friends come in around the clock, and the glow from our smartphones light up our bedrooms. Thus, every time we are awakened, however briefly, the storage and processing functions of our sleeping brains are suddenly interrupted. It is as though someone has yanked a USB stick out of your computer. Now, the important difference is that even if the memory storage process in the brain is 98% complete, every interruption resets it back to zero now for many years researchers thought that chronic exhaustion only had an effect on the psyche but recent studies show that constant fatigue and acute burnout also restructure the body scientists have also discovered that exhaustion and fatigue can be a trigger for some of the most widespread diseases such as diabetes cardiovascular diseases and strokes Other problems affecting those who suffer from exhaustion include gastrointestinal problems, as well as disorders of the muscles, bones, and joints. Some scientists equate the impact of chronic exhaustion with the devastating consequences of smoking. Can you believe that? Although the amount of distractions that we have in our lives and the amount of restorative sleep plays a huge role in the amount of fatigue we experience, there are other factors that play a role. Now, let's now take a look at some of these other fatigue factors. Number one, too much fat. Researchers have found that those who have a high-fat diet are likely to feel sleepy during the course of the day. Now, here's a tip. For at least three days, only eat food that contain less than 10 grams of fat per 100 grams. Number two, dehydration. Our bodies are two-thirds water, which is found both inside and outside of our cells. If the body loses more fluid than it takes in, our cells are no longer able to fulfill many of their function. Blood gets thicker, circulation suffers, and blood pressure drops, so the brain doesn't get enough oxygen. Fatigue is the most common result. Here's a tip. Keep track of your daily fluid intake. If you drink less than two liters a day, Double your input for at least a week and monitor how you feel. Number three, clutter. Now, the more stimuli around us to process, the harder the brain has to work. Studies now show that tidiness keeps us alert while being in a messy environment can lead to fatigue. I know this one plagues me. Tip. Here's the tip. Tip. Straighten up any areas where you will spend several hours a day, for example, your desk or your kitchen counter. I'm about to do that right after I finish. Number four, too much coffee. Although coffee is a stimulant, if you drink strong coffee without eating anything, you will end up feeling tired again before too long. Around 30 minutes after you ingest a caffeinated beverage, the blood vessels in your head contract, thereby impeding the oxygen supply to the brain, and you get tired. Here's a tip. Try going without morning coffee for a while and then assess how you feel. Number five, stale air. The carbon dioxide that we exhale as a result of oxygen exchange in our lungs increasingly accumulates in closed and unventilated rooms. If we breathe too much of this gas, we grow tired. Here's a tip. Even just five minutes of thorough airing with all of the windows open at once is enough to lower the carbon dioxide concentration in a room. Number six, no time to relax. We are always in a rush to do everything, and we never take time for a break. It has been established that our brains need breaks. Even boredom can have a positive effect. Here's a tip. Set aside at least 10 minutes each day for doing absolutely nothing. Let your mind wander. This will help to relieve exhaustion. Number seven, psychological stress. The centers in the brain that process emotions are closely linked with other brain regions. If you're feeling low, this changes certain nerve impulses in the brain and affects hormonal distribution, which makes you feel tired. Here's a tip consciously do things that make you feel happy. Naturally, such activities vary from person to person, but they all prompt the release of happiness hormones that make us feel better. Number eight, too much sugar. A study by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine revealed that the more sugar we eat during the day, the more problems we have getting to sleep and staying asleep at night. Study subjects who ate a lot of sugar during the day took 12 minutes longer to fall asleep. Here's the tip. Our brains need sugar for energy fuel, but avoid sweets in the evening. Number nine, too little light. When we head to work before sunrise, come home after sunset, and spend an entire day under fluorescent lights, our neurotransmitters are thrown off. Here's the tip. Spend at least 30 minutes per day in daylight outdoors, even when the sky is gray. This decreases the production of the sleep hormone melatonin. Another thing that you can do is you can actually buy artificial sunlight. I have an artificial sunlight machine right at my bedstand that I turn on every single morning when I wake up. Number 10, lack of exercise. People who don't move enough are more likely to feel tired than regular exercises. Here's a tip. The World Health Organization advises getting about 30 minutes of exercise five times a week and even walking will suffice. Movement is important for our circulation as well as our metabolism. All right, that's all that we have for today's show. want to remind you, if you want to go back and re-listen to not only this show, but any of the previous shows that we have, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com. And the quote that we're going to end today's show with is, The energy of the mind. Is the essence of life. And that's from Aristotle. Thank you much. And until next show. Thanks for listening to Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. To listen or re listen, go to powerinahalfhour.com. Follow Coach Mark on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Mark Speaks. Find Coach Mark on Facebook by searching for Mark star Like our Facebook fan page, Power in a Half Hour, and join our Power in a Half Hour Facebook group. See you next week